Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thank you for joining us for our third episode now with Pastor Aaron White. Pastor Aaron, welcome back. Well, it's good to be here. Again, Pastor Aaron is pastor of River Hills Community Church. And uh, again, uh, he's looking at me with just a look of concern as he has no coffee in front of him and uh, wonders how I can't do that. I've offered him water, but he needs something deeper, something more potent. But I appreciate the water, but it, it doesn't taste like coffee. You use water to make coffee, so you're halfway there. But I'm, I'm, still, I'm still praying about this whole issue right now. Well, in Scripture, <laughs> water is often compared with salvation. If you want to add to that, that's up to you. Thank but, you for binding my conscience, Kevin. I appreciate um, that. <laughs> Jesus is good enough for me if you want to add to it. That's, well, all right. Well, we started off with a great uh, beginning here. So but we're talking about Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. And let me, uh, again, read that. Uh, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so the last two podcasts, we've talked about predestination and calling. And now we move into that third link on this chain of salvation, justification and uh, we're coming up on the 500th anniversary of the protestant reformation and luther himself said it's justification is the hinge in which the reformation swung so we're uh talking about this at just the right time not that there's any uh, uh, there's ever a wrong time to talk about justification so define the term for us what is justification Justification, simply defined, is an instantaneous legal act of God whereby he pardons our guilt and counts us righteous based upon the merits of Christ's mm. righteous, righteousness. And so it's kind of the great exchange. That, but I think some of the key terms to remember is that it's an instantaneous yeah. legal or forensic act of God. So it's a judicial term, it's a one-time declaration, and it's done so uh, by God's sovereign grace upon which he confers or imputes or counts the righteousness of Christ to us. And so I'll, the reason I'm stressing those words, I'll explain a little bit more as we go into our study, but that would be a, a simple definition, I think, for now. Yeah. The important thing, I, I would emphasize that idea of, it's a declaration. It's not something that I've worked up to. It it's, deals with my standing before God. I don't stand before God based upon what I've been able to accomplish in my life or what I've been able to overcome in my life or what I've been able to stay away from in my life. But this is something that declares me to be guilty, yet standing before God is righteous. How does that happen? Because that, I'm, I'm not righteous. Well, if you're listening at home, and in light of Kevin's comments and Kevin's question here, what he's tapping into is, is really the crux of the entire Bible. In, in many ways. If you go to Proverbs seventeen fifteen, and you probably didn't anticipate that I would ask you to go to the book of Proverbs. I wasn't going there, no. In a, in a discussion about justification. But uh, Kevin mentioned, how can I be declared righteous even though I'm very aware that I'm not righteous? How can I be considered forgiven when I know that I'm guilty in many, many ways? And so that really is the question of all of Scripture. And um, kind of ironically, here in Proverbs 17, verse 15 it points to this, this kind of central issue. So in Proverbs seventeen fifteen, if you're there, you'll, you'll see this. And if you're not, just listen carefully. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Mm. And so in Proverbs seventeen fifteen, it says, he who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. 
And that's the greatest problem or dilemma in all of Scripture is because we're saying that God justifies the wicked. So how can God justify or declare innocent or declare righteous those who are inherently unrighteous? That's the problem of all of Scripture. Um, and Paul answered that back in Romans 3. And so, again, if you weren't tuning in last week or the week before, we've been trying to labor at the outset that you really don't want to come to Romans 8.30 blindly. You don't want to come here just for the sake of argument. You want to go to the book of Romans as a whole and obviously tie in all of Scripture in that. But you'll notice in Romans 1, 2, and 3, we dealt with the depravity of man. Romans 4, which we'll take you to in a little bit, deals with justification. Yeah. How can sinners be justified? Well, that question of how can a holy God justify or declare righteous those who are not righteous? Proverbs seventeen fifteen says those who justify the wicked are an abomination. So the question is how can God who is just and holy and righteous and sinless declare sinners just or justified without violating his righteousness? Mm. That's the problem. And Paul knows that. And Paul uh, essentially is pointing to that idea of how can God call Abraham a friend when Abraham was an adulterer and a liar? Right. How can God call David a man after his own heart? Um, you know, when, when, when David was an adulterer and a murderer, uh, how, how can God pardon you and I sitting here today knowing that we violated his law in millions of ways? How can God do that without being an unjust judge? So Paul answered that question back in Romans 3. And so if you come to Romans 8, you should have Romans yeah. 3. But for the sake of our study today, if you go back to Romans 3, starting in verse 23, Paul told us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and he uses that word, and are justified by his grace as a gift, right. through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. There's a big word, propitiation, but it's a Bible word. It means a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. Yeah. God put him forward as a wrath-satisfying sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This, meaning the cross, was to show God's righteousness. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones says this is primarily about the vindication of God. Mm. Why the cross? To vindicate God's holiness. This was to show God's righteousness. Well, why does he need to show forth his righteousness? What is he proving? Because in his divine forbearance, his patience, he had passed over former sins. He had passed over David's sins. He had all of the libations and, and blood spilling in the Old Testament really did not erase sin. It didn't atone for sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot atone right. for the sin of man. And so the cross, what Paul is saying is the cross, Christ was placarded, was held up here as a propitiation to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It, meaning the cross, was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, meaning God, might be, and here's the key idea, because of the cross, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in yeah. Jesus. So what answers the dilemma of Proverbs 17, 15? How can God justify the wicked without becoming wicked? It's the cross. Yeah. And so that's taking us back. Now that we have that in our minds, we come to this term in Romans 8.30. It says, those we predestined, he called. Those we called, he justified. And so at least we know, it doesn't answer every question, but at least we know, okay, justification, that's a big deal. And it means that you're cleared, and it's because of Christ. Right. But there's a little bit more to the word, and I'm guessing you're going to poke around. Yes. What, is, what does it mean to be justified? So let's look at some other scriptures. For example, Romans 4. 
um, is the passage that I think of when I think about justification outside of Romans, um, not just Romans 8.30, but even further down uh, the passage. So we see in Romans 4.1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, quoting back in, in Genesis 15. Abraham, just lost my place here, excuse me. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to those, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. We have a very clear delineation between a salvation that is not really a salvation, but wrought by works. And the other side of that is a belief, a faith that has counted as righteousness. So my works are counted as unrighteousness because that's what they are. But my faith is what God looks at and says, righteous, based upon that idea. So how do we, how do we wrestle with that? You said at the beginning of our broadcast today, um, and you stressed that justification is a declaration. Yeah. You, know, you want to really kind of accent and underline that idea that it's a declaration by God, and rightfully so. And so we're here in Romans 4, which is kind of the whole chapter is speaking about Abraham. Right. How was Abraham justified? And Paul's laboring to say he was justified. He was declared righteous. Uh, he was saved, if you want to use that term, by faith alone, by faith in God's promises. And he goes on to say, and kind of prove the point, was he justified before or after circumcision? Yeah. Well, it was, it was before. You know, circumcision came after. It was the outflow of, of his being saved. Um, but I think one of the issues that we want to point to is, is one from history. So again, as we're getting very close to the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, you know, as, as we recognize it on, in October 2017, and, uh, I think it's very appropriate and very helpful then as we, we ask this question, what does it mean to be justified? Why is it so important to know that God justifies us? Why, why is Paul in Romans 8.30, which is meant to be an encouraging text right. to... Uh, to build hope in suffering Christians. He wants us to know that it is God who predestines, it is God who calls, and it is God who justifies. Why would that offer encouragement to those who are suffering, maybe languishing in their faith, maybe being persecuted, maybe worried that they're not going to make it to the end and mm -hmm. persevere? Why would that be helpful? Well, um, prior to the Reformation, in the Latin text of the Bible, the word justified was rendered justificare, Justus, justice or righteousness, facare, meaning to mold or to make. And so up to the time of Martin Luther, it was preached that justification was something that uh, God must make in you. You must be made righteous. Yeah. And, um, and you do that by doing certain things and trying to obtain justification. And of course, if you, uh, you can't stand before God until you are inherently righteous. And so you know, I gave way to a number of, of false ideas. Yeah. So justificare uh, was not an, an accurate rendering of the word justification because that means to make righteous or holy. Martin Luther came along with the original Greek manuscripts and went underneath the Latin back to the original language, and it's um, dikaiosune is the word, dikaiosune. And that means to declare righteous, and that's a big difference. Yeah. And because the word is dikaiosune, to declare righteous, it's, it's totally turned on its head 
And that's why Paul can say in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by right. faith, past tense. And that's why we stressed in the beginning that it is a legal declaration by God because we're, we're not trying to earn justification. We're not trying to be made inherently holy through our prayers and our efforts and our giving and our alms and all these different things. That we are, uh, Martin Luther coined the term simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified and sinner. Yeah. Uh, because we will, we will never be inherently holy and, and made perfect until what we're going to talk about in our next broadcast, which is right. glorification. And yet, we are still justified in this life. We are still presently justified. And that's why Romans 8 begin by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, how can there be no condemnation when I know that I'm not inherently holy or glorified yet? Well, you're in Christ. And in Christ, you are declared righteous because of his perfection. And so it really brings kind of all of Scripture, but specifically Romans 8, into a nice symmetry Hmm. to say it is encouraging especially if you're languishing or suffering or waning or groaning, all the things we see in Romans 8, to say, how does knowing that God justifies encourage me? Well, it, it encourages you because it is a declaration. It's an imputation. It's a giving yeah. by faith. It's not an earning. It's not a doing. Uh, you go to someone who's being persecuted and they're weak and say, well, you just need to do more. Uh, that's not good news. Right. And so that's, that's why contextually Romans 8.30 is helpful, uh, but also that's the theme of scriptures. How can a holy God pardon unholy people without becoming unholy himself? And it's the cross. Absolutely. So what are some dangers to avoid? We're talking about justification. What are the extremes we need to stay away from? Well, I think uh, history would probably bear out, and our own personal, my personal experience would bear out, is as we talk about justification, um, there's always the threat, and probably rightfully so, of antinomianism. Yeah. And if you're we'll listening, at home, yeah. yeah. If you're thinking, what is antinomianism? Uh, we're not speaking in tongues. It's a it's a word that means lawlessness, antinomos. You know, the, the the antinomianism is more of an ideology, more of an ethos than it is really a, a religion per se. But it's adopting the mentality that uh, I'm saved, I'm justified. God has once for all saved me, so it's no longer about my actions. And and, and there is some truth right. there. It's no longer about what I do. Um, therefore, I can sin with impunity. And it doesn't matter. I can sin, I can give in to the flesh, and, and yet it doesn't change my justification. Uh, it, that, that's always a threat. Yeah. And not many people would say, I'm going to be an antinomian this week, but it's a slow slide into that kind of thinking. If you, um, if you don't see justification in its full-orbed context, yeah. and I think it's really biblical, well, the Lord's wisdom, <laughs> to give us the book of James. Because you know, right. many people say, well, wait a minute, you know, Romans 8 says we're justified. Romans 4 says we're justified by faith alone. Romans 3 says we're justified by faith alone. But then James comes along and says that Abraham was justified by his works. What does this mean that he's justified by his works? Well, uh, that's two sides to the same yeah. coin. You know, the word justification can also mean to show forth, to be justified. Uh, so you look at the two sides of the same coin. That Abraham was legally yeah. declared righteous, justified, uh, and he showed forth that. Um, by his offering of Isaac through his circumcision. And then that's exactly what it is for the Christian life, that out of the abundance, out of the overflow of my justification by faith, I obey yeah. and I bear fruit. So you could say that justification is the root and obedience is the fruit. Yeah, As you're saying this, whenever I think of the contrast between James and, and Romans, my mind goes back to my childhood and the distinctive voice of James Vernon McGee 
on the radio. <laughs> okay. And he gave the illustration of James and Paul were like gunslingers in the Old West, back-to-back, fighting against different crowds, fighting against different problems. And uh, I think that's exactly what's, what's going on there. Um, and we do see this as a problem. We wouldn't call it antinomianism, but we do hear words like free grace or uh, cheap grace, or some would call it hyper grace. Uh, we do see movements with our, that are at their core, they're, they're good intentions. Um, but they do slip into, we're just going to ignore sin because we believe this. And no, in fact, Paul later says in, in Ephesians 2 that we were, we were foreordained for good works. The purpose of our salvation, we're saved by grace through faith, but there's a purpose for that. And the mm-hmm. purpose is that God can work in us that fruit of salvation. Right. And so, if, yeah, if we're going to take this for what scripture says, that there is no license for sin. In fact, as you embrace these doctrines, you get to see the wickedness and evilness of sin. Amen. And you referred to Romans 6 before, and that's really what Paul says. How shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Or shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, no. God forbid. How shall we that are dead in sins live any longer therein? We, we see sin for what it is, and it's wickedness. And it's not a matter of, I get to do this, but... I don't want this. I shouldn't want this. I have something better. It, and that's mm-hmm. really what all of this doctrine should lead us to. And there was a long-standing debate on the Gospel Coalition um, about this topic. This right. was a few years ago with Kevin DeYoung. And at the time, it was Tullian Javidigen and some other people. Yeah. But they were debating this idea because they were supposing viewpoints. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree with where Kevin DeYoung was coming from and this idea that there is the danger and there is the reality in certain evangelical circles, some reform circles, uh, of focusing exclusively on the beauty of our justification by faith to the exclusion right. of the imperatives of Scripture to pursue holiness, to, to flee lust, to um, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the yeah. Lord, you know, in the book of Hebrews. And, and so in everything in the Christian life, it seems there's a call for balance, there's a call for... Yeah. You know, being balanced in our thinking and, and comparing Scripture to Scripture. And so we rejoice over the doctrine of justification by yeah. faith alone. Clearly, it's the, the heart of the gospel, uh, but not to the exclusion of, right. like you said, the book of James or just any of the imperatives of Scripture. You know, I'm, that's what Paul was getting at. And I think Martin Lloyd-Jones was right. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary in Romans, um, looking at Paul having to respond to this charge of antinomianism because Paul many times in Romans will ask a hypothetical question to give voice to an antagonist. You know, many times in Romans he'll say, what shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, he's giving voice to someone who's thinking that or to what he assumes that they're thinking. He he was very shrewd in dealing with people. So he does that constantly. He does that in Romans 8 as well. If you look back, there's a few points where he'll ask a question and, He'll do it again in uh, verse 31. Say, you know, what then shall we say to these things? Well, he's asking the question, like, I know you're thinking, then what do I do with this? And he tells us. So this whole idea, uh, that's what he was doing in Romans 6, was someone heard him preaching about the doctrine of justification by faith and all the things he said in Romans 4 and Romans 5, that we're in Christ, we're no longer in Adam, it's all of God's grace. And he knew that someone would say antinomianism. Someone would charge him and say, well, then people will just sin. And it, many yeah. times it was maybe his Jewish counterparts. Uh, but we, we hear that today as well. If you preach that kind of grace, people will just sin. Uh, well, but Paul anticipated that and said in verse 
one of chapter six, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a call for balance in all these things. But if you're asking specifically in verse 30 of Romans 8, what is the intent of Paul citing justification? It's meant to encourage us that it's yeah. not about doing more. It's about believing deeply. Right. I think getting into the, our application section, uh, that's it right there. It's not about that this whole section of Romans 8 tells us. It's not about me. My salvation is not based upon what I do. My salvation was accomplished at the cross. I have been declared righteous, not because of my works, but because of the works of Jesus Christ. And so I come robed in a righteousness that is not my own. And I'm able to stand before the Father as clean, without spot or wrinkle, uh, Ephesians 5 says. Not because of me. So when I'm struggling in my sin, I'm struggling in my temptation, how can I have any assurance of my salvation or my relationship with God? Well, my relationship with God is settled. It mm-hmm. is. It was settled before I was born, <laughs> uh, which is what we, we, where we started off with. And so... This absolute should not just give us encouragement, but confidence to keep going. Amen. And that's exactly what Paul intends. Yeah. And I think it becomes clear as you move through the rest of Romans 8, especially verse 35. You know, this is a cohesive thought that Paul's yeah. building. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right. Well, that's potentially the fear. If what's happening in Romans 8 is happening to you. I'm groaning. I don't know what to pray for. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. Um on and on and on and so then you come to verse 35 and Paul is is the whole thing is couched in encouragement yeah. and hope so hopefully it's good on the one hand to debate these things to, to sharpen to think deeply but let's not proof text these right. verses and forget the context is one of exactly. trying to build hope for those who are perhaps feeling hopeless I think another form of application uh, I was reminded of this this week in discussing with my secular friends, uh, the tenets of the faith. And the famous quote from Gandhi was once again thrown in my face, where he said, I I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. Where oftentimes we struggle to live the Christian life as we ought to. We struggle with sin, we struggle with temptation. We don't live up to where we ought to be. And it's easy for the world to look at us and say, aha, See, you call yourself a Christian, but you did this. Or uh, sometimes when you're trying to live out your faith, at, whether it's in the workplace or wherever, there are those who look for any any sort of hypocrisy or any little detail. But then, if we understand this, and if we're able to communicate that to the world, say, "Listen, it's not about me. You're gonna find you're gonna find this and even more mm-hmm. if you look at." But it's not about me. If I, I love, we're in Romans 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So when I sin, I, I should repent of that. Luther said we should live a life of repentance. But I can get back up again. Mm-hmm. Again, because of God's sacrifice. To kind of land the conversation right on that point, yeah. it's all about balance you know, in so many ways. In the Christian life, if someone gives the charge of, you're a hypocrite, well, there is a, there is a healthy self-introspection at that point um, to say, am I abusing grace? Am I right. um, 
examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. There is a good, healthy self-examination to say, am I living in a holy manner? I mean, this sounds puritanical, but I appreciate the Puritans. Am I yeah. living in a way that brings honor and glory to God, or am I bringing ill repute upon God and upon the gospel? Um, that's, a, that's a legitimate concern. You know, we, we don't want to live in sin or be dismissive and say, well, you know, you call me a hypocrite, but it's all about grace. We, that's wrong-headed. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we also know, and again, that balance is that despite our best efforts, our grace-empowered efforts, we're not glorified yet, which will right. be our next broadcast. There will always be a, a remnant of sin in our lives. We'll, we'll be struggling with sin until we're home in glory. Yeah. Uh, so there will be some validity to the charge of hypocrisy every time it comes. Every time I preach, you know, preachers are, pastors are called to abide by First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which is a holy life, to be above reproach. Uh, but I, in some sense, am hypocritical every Sunday to preach things that I know I can't fully live up to and yeah. I can't. Um, and that's just the foolishness of preaching. So on the one hand, we don't want to give reason for the gospel to be uh, sneered at. You know, and many times Paul will say, you know how I lived among you. Right. I mean, he'll point to his life and say, my life condones my message. You know this how I worked with my own hands, how I cared for you as a nursing mother. I, that ought to be a concern. And at the same time, with a realization that we will always have to deflect back to Christ to say there, there is some truth in what you're saying, that right. I am hypocritical in certain areas of my life, that I do struggle in areas of my life, and that go with me to the cross where yes. you can find forgiveness too. Uh, so I think if you give a balanced, gracious, but clear witness to the gospel well i like how you just ended that come with me to the cross absolutely am i a hypocrite i might be i need to repent and so do you let's come together you know i'm a sin you're a sinful person so am i let's come to jesus amen all right well let's end off with uh resources for going a little deeper there's a book uh, that my church river hills community church will be spotlighting at our fall conference this year at our fall conference we are going to be hosting our guest speaker is charles leiter Huh? Uh, Brother Charles Leiter is from Missouri. Um, m- some people know him if they see him on YouTube and different things. He's had some connections with uh, Brother Paul Washer from Heart Cry Mission right. Society. But Charles Leiter um, has written a book called Justification and Regeneration, and that will actually be the theme of our fall mm-hmm. conference this year. It's in October. If you want information, you can go to riverhillsonline.org. Uh, but Charles Leiter, Pastor Leiter, very good book. It's I think it's less than 200 pages. It's a paperback. The title is simply just Justification and Regeneration. Wonderful book. Probably in my top five as far as helping me process through these things. And um, the frequently asked questions, the appendices in the back, is worth the price of the book. He just answers a lot of these kind of questions. What's the relationship between justification and holiness? And just very pastoral, very understandable, very good. Heavily footnoted with scripture and just saturated. Um, And so, again, Charles Leiter, L-E-I-T-E-R. Justification and regeneration. Well, and let me uh, just echo if you're able to come out to that. It's a conference I've been to a couple of years um, in October, a uh, men's conference. I'm thinking the right one, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's very profitable. Uh, it's a great time for fellowship and it's getting deep in the word. Um, don't let that scare you. It's because it, it's not scary at all. It's it's very beneficial. Well, to offer uh, clarification, this year we're actually opening up to men and women. Men and women. Uh, we're okay. going to be hosting it in October. I'm not going then. Yeah. No. <laughs> we're going to be hosting it in October, uh, toward toward the the end of October, and it's going to be at our church, River Hills River Hills Community Church in Janesville on the west side. We'll be hosting it there. It'll be a kind of a Friday evening and then an all day Saturday 
but so if you want more information, you can, you can call our church office or check out our website. We'll be posting more information as we get a little bit closer. But it'll be open to men and women. Uh, but Brother Charles is going to do four or five sessions, and he's going to do a uh, Q&A session as mm-hmm. well, and just try to, to be available. Yeah. Uh, but the theme is going to be that book, Justification and Regeneration. Well, that's what I've loved about your conferences, the availability of the speaker. You can get sit down, even share a meal, or uh, just chat, and it's been incredibly uh, edifying. I'm going to add in one other book, um, The God Who Justifies by James R. White. It's, it's, a, it's a thick tome, but it's well worth the effort to get into it. Uh, it gets technical, but incredibly biblical, and it really helped shape my view of this topic. Well, uh, we are way out of time right now, so uh, join us back next week. Until then, again, check out the website, www.basicbiblepodcast.org, or check us on Twitter at Basic Bible Cast, or uh, don't forget to leave a little message for us on iTunes and share this with your friends. Yeah.